0: Welcome to the Natural Selection Podcast.
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to the Nitro Selection Podcast. Today's episode will be hosted by Ali and I, Daihan, with two founders of Nitri's company, Michael and Ash, to talk about how planting trees can help to reach carbon neutrality and fight climate change. We really enjoyed recording this episode and we hope you will enjoy it as much as we did. Hi Mike and Ash. It's great to have you here with us today. Firstly, Can you tell us a bit about yourself and what inspired you to start Nine Trees?
0: Hi, um, my name is Michael Cunningham and I started Nine Trees with Ash about two years ago. And the inspiration for it was that I wanted to plant trees to offset my own carbon footprint, but also in a wildlife-orientated way. And me and Ash are conservationists and I know a few other conservationists who would be interested. And I worked out that it would be about nine trees that would have to live till about 60 to 100 years old to sequester a ton of carbon each. Mm -hmm. So one tree is one ton in its life, roughly. And we decided we would try and plant nine trees per person per year, not just nine trees or not just one tree. And then along with that, help educate people into how much carbon they're actually emitting, because they're not easy to grasp the figures So from a scientific background I did a lot of research and yeah we launched Nine Trees in a woodland basically when we're doing some coppicing and it stemmed from there and we decided to get not just our friends and family involved but other organisations and open it up to the rest of the UK.
2: Yeah so my name's Ash and Mike asked me to start Nine Trees whether I was interested in starting Nine Trees and yeah, we, so I've been working in conservation for about 12, it's nearly 12 years now. And I've been, I sort of reached the point where I felt like I was looking after nature reserves, but needed. To, I needed to be doing something a bit more than just sort of yeah. looking after what was already there. And so I wanted to apply the skills that I'd learned to, to something else. So when Mike asked me about the nine trees thing, he actually asked me a couple of times and it, the idea sort of was there in the background going round and round and eventually I was just sort of like actually no let's just go for this and uh just sort of I don't know we jumped into it fully and just went for a whole yeah let's do a national business rather than a rather than doing something sort of small up small, small scale or so and now we're planting trees all over the place.
3: Since you started the company what projects have you been working on and where are they?
0: So we have got um a map with about 40 or so landowners on it who I've inquired about nine trees, and we're hopefully planting on about six landowners' land towards the end of this year. And we've already planted on five landowners' land already. The first two were in Wales, and there's one now in England near Birmingham. Yeah, so we've got quite a wide spread. Uh, some in Yorkshire, Lancashire, Kent, like the southwest, as well as Anglesey. We've done
1: quite a lot. <laughs> Um, and hopefully everyone loves that we're planting trees but have you encountered any difficulties or problems since starting the project
2: i suppose the difficulties of running an organization and all of the stuff that goes with that in terms of being pulled in different different directions so i suppose once you've got a landowner that wants trees in the ground that's pretty sort of straightforward that side of it is relatively easy to deal with you surveys you sort of work out what species you want to put in the ground and it's sort of done because all of our trees are funded through subscribers then we need to generate those subscriptions yeah and then you're moving into the realms of how you generate that revenue and how the marketing works and how your website works and how you're reaching those people Mm -hmm. so I suppose that's where the difficulties sort of come into it I think
0: another difficulty that we found is that uh, a lot of organizations that might have been running for many years have their name behind them and they might have talked to other landowners and 3 years later or so the landowner might come back and want to plant trees or volunteers or you know the linking you get when you're when you've been running for over 5 years is amazing so we're going out and networking with hundreds of people and thousands of organizations and you know one or two come off which is great because actually we are small and we need to build ourselves small but now I'd say we're ready in the background uh, with everything set up with documents for landowners and business partnerships and all kinds of things like that so that now we're ready for a bigger amount of subscribers
3: Yeah, I suppose it's the early stages of a a company. You want to reach out to people and get as many as possible. But it's good that you're building capacity. So you mentioned like a couple, you know, mentioned that other companies are doing this. So what's the difference between Nine Trees and other tree planting or carbon offset projects?
2: There's not many companies actually planting in the UK for carbon offset. And when they are, it tends to be through sort of the Woodland Carbon Code and planting a a monoculture sort of crop. Mm -hmm. And so what makes us different from that is that we're planting for individual people in the UK but planting a broadleaf sort of mix of species because the the key thing for us is not it's not just about the amount of carbon that's being absorbed by each tree. It's about the end result of like what that woodland's gonna look like in fifty to a hundred years time. It has to support wildlife. And the woodland has to be a full-functioning woodland because then that's when it holds the most amount of carbon, and that's when it's doing the most for everybody. So that's where we're sort of trying to sort of set ourselves apart: is that we're not just we don't just stick the tree in the ground and walk away. We stick the tree in the ground, and we are signing a fifty-year agreement with the landowner to continue looking after it. We cover the costs of the management needed afterwards, and that's that tends to be the the organisations that are planting in the UK. They will geolocate but they're not doing the looking afterwards they will yeah. leave that to the landowner mm-hmm. and they won't go back and replace trees whereas that we're doing that
1: so uh, when you consider about like choosing the species will you also consider if these tree species are resilient to future climate change and plant diseases
0: so uh, yeah as ash mentioned before um how we choose the tree species is that each site has got like an ecological assessment on it and we use magic maps and things like that to find out remotely how the land is and where it's situated, either nestled next to SSIs or other things like gas mains and things like that. And we use our conservation knowledge and the knowledge of other ecologists, sometimes very local to the sites, and we contact Natural Resources Wales or Forestry England and and people like that and the Environment Agency and we then choose a a mix and we speak to the landowner as well because there might be local knowledge there of you know a previous hedgerow on the land and and we go out and do the site visits and make sure everything is going right and then we order the trees that are usually of local provenance and we plant up using uh, local contractors. So there are conservation contractors as well, so we vet them so that the trees have a good rate of survival. And then they are kind of their trees, that's their site, so they've got it in mind to look after them well. It's hard to build in that future resilience at the moment because people are looking for trees that are British-grown. Yeah, We are talking about that, and we've got various people looking into how that will affect uh, our sites.
2: So that we're also... um, We've got someone looking at uh, seed collection. So they are registered with the um, Forestry England. So they're basically, they are now an authorised seed collector. So they're collecting seed from trees uh, locally to sort of sites and then or to one of the sites in particular and sort of then growing growing the trees on. With the understanding that the seed from the local area is the most resilient to sort of local changes and the, the local sort of climate. There's not many nurseries, tree nurseries in the UK that are growing UK seed a lot of trees are imported which brings in the risk of sort of additional tree diseases and that's how ash dieback sort of came into the UK along with a number of other ones so in terms of building in resilience if you're really sort of looking at the numbers then in terms of where we'll be in 50 years time we want to be planting trees that are going to try to reflect that and we're doing that as best as we best we can with some of the sites when we started looking at one of the landowners in Kent we started the conversation we had with the landowner then potentially could have been looking at a mix of trees that were more Mediterranean based whereas in Wales we can still plant trees that sort of fit with the uh, temperate sort of oak woodland sort of forests yeah yeah so it's it's a difficult one and we're trying to build that in as much as we possibly can
3: yeah because I've heard about Forestry England getting these seed banks, building up these climate resilient species. But yet that, like you said, with the Mediterranean, that then means introducing potentially non-native species to the UK. So I guess it's striking that balance between local species or climate resilience. And then looking forward 50 to 100 years, that must be quite hard with the unpredictable nature of climate change.
2: And you sort of hope that if you plant a tree now that's sort of locally from a local sort of seed source, you hope that in 50 years time that tree is able to adapt to that. But I had an interesting conversation with a landowner last week in Derbyshire Mm -hmm. who they're looking at planting a site that belonged to a school and they're looking at the, the worst case sort of figures from climate change and they're now looking at how Queensland, Australia plant their tree like their trees up to deal with so that kids are able to deal with the like the heat of the day and that they've yeah. got shade and shelter and what trees they're using and how they're planting them to create shade outside. Yeah. So this school is now potentially looking at applying the same thing to how their tree planting goes ahead on their site. Um wow. and they're looking at how they then protect kids from a harmful rays in the in the future. So it's so that's an interesting project to see how they yeah go forward with that
3: and what trees they actually end up planting. So sort of moving on from like climate change but still relating to how you plan your species and stuff so how do you make sure that the new forests that you plant support the high levels of biodiversity?
0: We are always trying to mix species of broadleaf tree and we when we're mapping out the site we might leave room for a hedge in future or yeah. we're thinking about the management of that for the next 50 years. You know, if it's near to streams or connecting other habitat types, then it's hard to plan exactly what will happen in the next 10, 20, 30 years, but we're giving it the best shot we can and thinking about the structure of the trees and how fast they grow, and also having like a shrub area around the sides sometimes. So it really depends on each site. And yeah, with lots of ecologists and the landowner and go and visit the sites. So it's not just all done from remote on a laptop we you know we've got a good knowledge behind us so we understand how woodlands work from our uh, habitat conservation
2: i wanted to add quickly because one of the fir- one of the first sites we planted up was at the bottom of a field which normally would have horses sort of grazing on it and that's been fenced off trees put in the ground and that was put in the ground mar- it was just before lockdown in march 2020 And went back to the, able to get back to the site at the end of August. And so even between that time, because the horses had, weren't grazing that area, the wildflowers that had come up were amazing. Also the area of sort of natural regeneration had come up as well. So we've sort of left that to continue doing its thing with the rest of the trees, a mixed trees sort of going in. So there was a very quick increase in the biodiversity on that, on that area.
3: I like that you look at the local sites and what's there and it's really good to hear that you, you put so much thought and in, into the ecology of the area as well because you hear about lots of places that just plant monoculture. I mean, we do it in the UK, like you mentioned previously, and it, it's good for planting trees, but then you do, you do really just worry about the ecology and the biodiversity. It's so great to hear that you guys really care about that.
1: So um, after planting um, trees for each site, how long do the woodland habitat effectively sequester carbon and support biodiversity?
0: Yeah, there's been quite a lot of research done on different tree types, um, especially in Europe, but also a lot more now in the UK. And e- each tree really has a certain area where it levels out. So obviously when it's young, it will only sequester a, a very minimum amount of carbon every year. By the time it's about 20 or 25 years, it's sequestering about 43 pounds a year of carbon. And then after about 40 to 60 years, depending on species, it kind of levels out. It yeah. still will take in maybe 40 pounds or more of carbon every year, but it stops increasing its ability. Yeah. Um, and then obviously when the tree dies, there's different consumption of carbon and the release of some carbon, but then it increases, it turns to hummus. So we generally take in the rule of over about a hundred years, it will sequester one ton. That's based on a mixed deciduous woodland. So we are that's why our agreements with landowners are for 50 years, because then they will have sequestered most of their carbon. Mm-hmm. And after that, the trees aren't grown like in a monoculture way. So, you know, it won't be much use for the landowners to cut down. And, and we're very hopeful that it will just get passed down from generation to generation, and people will still enjoy their sites and they'll be able to tell their kids and grandkids about the sites and they'll be able to continue visiting.
3: I guess, as well, when they sort of reach maturity, even if they slow down with sequestering carbon then with the mixed woodlands, so, so much better and with deadwood and things as well for supporting the ecology. So focusing on the ecology and carbon, just a win-win.
0: Yeah, for Ash, um, you had the, uh, a bit to say really on that, the extra biodiversity of the site, didn't you? Because you were mentioning that we were going to do, like, try and count the carbon leaf litter kind of area and with the biodiversity because each mammal is made up of mammal or insect is made up of carbon
2: yeah because once the trees have reached maturity it's sort of an interesting thing where the the interactions between what's going on in the soil and what's going on with the tree means that then we've got uh i think what i said before it's it's about the whole woodland functioning as a as a woodland rather than it's just about what tree is holding what so although we sort of say well the estimate is that you know a tree might be holding about a ton of carbon, really, it's about what's in the soil, what's in the what's on the ground level, what animals are in it and and that functioning as a whole. I suppose that's where some of the woodland management comes into it as well. so if we if trees are going in and there's some thinning that happens and then some natural regeneration or replanting or creation of sort of glades and rides and the rest of it, then you, you we're sort of recreating what a what a woodland should be sort of doing and that should be then holding more carbon
3: yeah, I think anything that's more natural just feels better to me. I don't know why. I think anything that's too human could potentially just be, be more detrimental than than good in some cases. So I think leaving things to naturally regenerate is is good. So which actually leads on to my next question, which was about your like the way you manage your woodlands. So, you, you, know, you mentioned earlier that you carry on with the management yourselves like after you've planted the woodlands. And also a bit about like the site that sort of naturally regenerated itself. So as as the woodlands develop, how will you manage them? Like, Will you let them develop naturally or will you be more actively managing them? And what's your stance on rewilding, things like that? Like what are your plans for that in your company?
2: So... Well, it'd be a mix of all of those things, really, um, because it it will again, it will come down to like what's happening with each sort of site. So some of them sort of lend themselves just to be left and they can just sort of get on with what they they need to to sort of do. On others, there's some uh, landowners where we'll be working with them where they've got quite a clear idea of what they would like the woodland to look like in the future. And they would quite like to have a, a working a working woodland so we will plan something in that means that there will be active thinning happening in that woodland that it will be coppicing happening in it and then over time the natural regeneration will just sort of happen but depending on each site it might be that we need to go in and do replanting if natural regeneration isn't isn't working or isn't happening for some reason it will be a, a, a mix of all a mix of all things we're sort of looking at what we want the woodland to look like in the future so that we can then sort of plan the planting now in terms of rewilding I agree with rewilding but I think the word and the term has got a little bit lost over the last sort of few years and everyone seems to be using it for everything so it's got a bit confusing as to like what actually what is actually rewilding what isn't and people arguing that tree planting is nothing to do with rewilding but actually I think tree planting lends itself to rewilding in the right sort of place it can give if you just leave a site to sort of get on with it it quite can quite quickly just sort of turn to brambles and takes a long time for the trees to actually come in and for you eventually get a woodland and if you haven't got grazing right on site or you haven't got the animal movement coming in and you're not managing the populations and all the rest of the stuff that goes with it then yeah the question comes down to what is rewilding and what isn't we will we mike and i have discussed previously that we would it'd be great if some of our sites then lend themselves to rewilding projects in the future so they're sort of like are picked up mm-hmm. and used within existing sort of landscape scale rewilding projects but we can't sort of sit around and wait for everybody to be on board with rewilding and so a way of getting something done now is to get trees planted now yeah. to sort of speed some of that process along yeah
0: we have we have lots of interesting conversations with people from all walks of life and one the other day was from like cardiff university and they were saying how there are lots of like hot spots of biodiversity where people have planted like a new woodland but it's often an island in sometimes a desolate desert Um, that's his words and uh, (laughs) then it's great if we can pop up these woodlands and ponds and and wildflower meadows all over the place And then as time goes on as well, we can say, well, look, that our nine trees woodland is only a short distance away from an amphibian reptile trust pond area. And in between, there's this 200 metre strip, which if we could either buy that or we could ask the landowner if we can utilise that for 50 years, then maybe what we could do is put a fence up and let it rewild.
3: Maybe we could plant
0: a habitat corridor of three to five metre wide strip of hedge And then leave another 20 or so meters to rewild into grassland so then the rewilding actually becomes a lot faster because biodiversity from each side is ready to encroach on that land so yeah i think rewilding's definitely got its place and as well as the sustainable woodlands um, created by the forestry commission because we need timber for building and things like that so i think we're just another way of helping get as much biodiversity back to the uk as possible
2: I think also is remembering in the UK that we don't have our large carnivores and we don't have the free movement of herbivores across the whole of the UK. So you can't have a, the rewilding in that sort of truest sense. We can't really have unless you've got that. You know, you've got that full sort of structure happening, and it be really interesting to see bears and wolves and lynx and things back in the uk but for that to happen that's going to take a long long time Mm -hmm. um also they need somewhere to live so we'd need some trees going in the ground if that were to happen so i think there needs to be an element of there still needs to be an element of management within that it's not a true it's not a true sort of leave it completely sort of wild to itself because we don't have that structure in place so humans in the uk still need to be managing those sites in some capacity
1: so um, we've talked about the possibility of rewilding and what else are you considering doing in the future do you have like any other goals
0: i think that yeah we've got a a big wish list of where and what to plant and also like linking up with amphibian and reptile trusts and things like that to do more more like landscape scale and Different habitats and varieties. But, you know, we are a young company and we need to remain true to what we want to do right now and build up our Uh, subscriber base. And um, we also know that other people know about that type of habitat, maybe a little bit more than us. So it'd be good to use that, our links that we create over the next couple of years, our networking, and, um, yeah, be able to ask our subscribers what they might want to do as well. So right now, we've been talking about the ability for subscribers to also purchase like a meter of hedgerow and also to help plant standard trees in parkland Mm -hmm. so that obviously will cost a lot more money with different meterage of fencing there's quite a few different costs involved so we're keeping to nine trees per person per year and planting at about two to three meter distance uh, conservation woodlands basically yeah and as time progresses we'll be able to expand what we want to do and we'd love your thoughts you know if there's anything you you think we can do as well so we're always open to that just yeah. on our website yeah. there's a place to fill in comments and facebook and instagram so yeah whatever you think we can do to help would be great
3: i like the idea of hedgerows and and other things and also a uh,
1: collaboration ratio with other organizations is always good
0: yeah we love to collaborate and uh, we're in quite a few we're in talks with lots of different people, including people who want to help us collaborate. So yeah, watch this space over the next year. We, we've we just put out our newsletter about World Earth Day and mm, yeah. businesses that have helped us as well. And that's really interesting. And then we've had like school mufti days, basically, non-uniform days raising money for us, as well as uh, people being interested in backdating and forward dating their own carbon footprint. So if you're over 30 years old, then really we should have already planted 300 trees for you (laughs) and if you're going to live until you're 90 we'd love to plant 900 trees for you so you know we might put together a package uh, so that people can feel a bit better about their life and even for uh, people who maybe when you're 18 or 20 and you get bought your first car then you might also get bought your first 180 trees so that'll be interesting to see if that we can get that off the ground.
3: So, I'm um, linking to the school side of things. So are you planning more like outreach and education? Because I guess, yeah, you want to gain as much support as possible to and like raise awareness for what you're doing.
2: We need to be educating children about this sort of now because there's a lot of people I like, I speak to sort of day to day who stop me when I'm doing work who just have no idea yeah. about what's involved in woodland management or what wildlife they've just sort of walked past or you know yeah. all, the, all the rest of it there's a huge huge sort of disconnect so you start start with the kids so yeah definitely want to be involved in there somewhere
3: yeah like increasing bioliteracy especially with Earth Day Yesterday and like the focus on educating the younger generation because if, if you get them interested in nature and climate and trees just inspire people to want, yeah, to, want to make a difference.
2: Because well, there's still a lot of kids today who have never, never really seen a woodland because mm-hmm. they never have the opportunity to get out of the city to be able to see that. So there needs to be a huge, a huge push with that yeah. in terms of you can't have kids growing up in a city that have never had the opportunity to be out in a field or out in a woodland. Because if they don't build that connection to it, then they don't as they get older, why would they want to protect it?
3: Exactly.
0: Um, There's there's a few things that we are hoping to get off the ground in the next couple of months with, like, kickstart roles. That's for unemployed people through the uh, government funding. Mm -hmm. And one of them is, like, a regional rep and an ambassador. And that, you know, that might bring up opportunities for either your listeners to get involved, but also for them to reach out to the right people or to the right schools. And with that, as well as a fundraising trainee, so they might be looking for fundraising about that and yeah that's one thing on our list is the like supporters package so as a business you might want to plant your 100 trees with us but you also might want to give us a thousand pounds or 250 pounds to go and do a school day or to run a talk and a walk on our site so that it makes it free for us to be able to do as ash was saying as a not-for-profit and a small subscriber base currently really we do need to get on with what we say which is Planting trees and putting all our money into that, and also with the world clock ticking to the 1.5 degrees C of -hmm. about six years and four months currently, you know we need to get on with it. So we also need to be educating the older population um, because they're also the ones with a bit of expendable money. And you know, I I would love to plant fifty or hundred trees for an old people's home, or people who are like CEOs of business to suddenly go, you know what, I didn't spend that much over COVID, maybe. And I've got a £1,000. These guys could really do with a donation. And then we can come back and do a talk in Exeter University or uh, a school in Bristol. And then we'll get each child maybe to uh, the family can give us a pound or £10 and we can plant a tree for £10 for them. So there's loads of different initiatives coming off the ground and education and outreach is something we really want to do, but it depends on funds. Yeah, I
3: hope it's inspired the listeners to want to do that and hopefully businesses want to get involved as well. Um, to
1: finish up, i want to ask a question to both of you. This is a simple one. What is a favorite tree or animal species and why?
0: OK, I, um, I really love the long-tailed tit because I just love its playful manner. And when you're walking through a woodland, you know, after the chicks have hatched and they're all fluttering about the trees. And it's really interesting how they don't just work as a small family, but they also have their extended family. And they all help each other bring up the chicks and uh it's just brilliant to see you know a flutter of anything from five to 15 or 20 flying through from tree to tree and you first notice one and and the sound of it and you look up and then when you see you know five or six you're like that's definitely long-tailed tits <laughs> and then you can see them it's just beautiful to watch isn't it and they're so dainty
2: um so i'm gonna say the oak tree it just there's a few oak trees on some of the sites that I I work on and one of them is sort of hidden in amongst this like plantation woodland that was sort of is slowly being sort of taken out but as you walk through the woods and if the light is right the sun's sort of like coming through coming through all the sort of trees and then you come to this clearing and there's just this huge oak tree that has survived being cut down and all the trees being replanted and cut and replanted around it and now that site's can properly properly protected but this thing is just is huge and the shape of it is incredible and it's just got so much like mosses lichens and ferns growing all over it the oak tree sort of the big tree that you're having yeah. in the woodland and it's just I don't know just think it's great and, I th- and people have used it for so many different things and the, the timber in it is pretty amazing as well
0: I think I was wondering if there's anything we can add to at the moment one thing we really need in the nine trees team is some help with various projects and if anyone at the university or anywhere else wants to help us or they've got a project in mind to do with woodlands or anything like that that we'd be really willing and really want to work with people so yeah we're just a shout out to anyone who wants to help us on our cause would be great
3: Thank you so much to Mike and Ash from Nine Trees for speaking to us about the amazing work they're doing. We encourage all our listeners to get involved, so head to their website at www.ninetrees.org for more information on what you can do to help. You can also follow them on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook by searching for at Nine Trees UK. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Natural Selection podcast, and to stay tuned in and up to date on all our podcast news, head to our website at naturalselectionpodcast.weebly.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at natural selection underscore podcast, our Twitter is at UOE Podcast, and our Facebook is The Natural Selection. <laughs>